Let's uh, turn to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, the, the passage in a moment or two will, will come up on the screen. We don't need it quite yet. Uh, last week and this week, uh, just a little two-part series uh, called Life-Changing Encounters. And uh, it's just uh, the first chapter of John tells several brief stories of uh, individuals who met Jesus for the first time. Can you imagine meeting Jesus for the first time? What, what, would, you, what would you encounter? What would you think? What would he say to you? What would you say to him? And uh, so we have, uh, last week we had Andrew, <clears throat> one of the disciples, and his brother Peter meeting Jesus for the first time. Uh, they, were, they were brothers, and Andrew met Jesus first, and it says the first thing he did was he went and got Peter, his brother, and brought him to meet Jesus. And we talked a little bit about what that was like and how we can bring people to meet Jesus today, even though he's not physically here among us. There are other ways we can, we can help people do that. And uh, we tried to think that through a little bit. Uh, today we're going to uh, see Jesus call Philip, and then Philip is going to get his friend, as far as we know it was his friend, uh, Nathaniel, and we'll focus most of our time on Nathaniel's interaction with Jesus because there's more detail in the text <coughs> about his interaction. Very interesting. I, I hope that you uh, will look at it in a fresh way and enjoy it this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments to look into your word. And we ask that you would be very tangibly, strongly, beautifully present here and that your spirit, in fact, ultimately would be our teacher. Speak to our hearts, whisper to our hearts, shout to our hearts if necessary, but we want to hear from you this morning. Amen. So, <clears throat> God is at work in every life, all of their life, drawing them to Jesus, opening their eyes, speaking to their souls, showing them their need. All of us have a story. Most of us at least have a story. Those of us who, are, who have come to Christ have that story to tell. As you know, I've had uh, just uh, a bit of a, of a, a burden this, this fall to talk to you about discovering our own stories and telling them more. We had a whole sermon on it uh, two or three weeks ago, and uh, I, was, I was likening it to an archaeologist who digs around in the dirt and uncovers bones and uncovers pieces of pottery and, and dusts them off and brings them to the surface and they tell a story and, uh, of the past. And, uh, and so I've been inviting us to root around in our own lives and give more thought and attention to our own stories and uh, unearth those details, those incidents, those moments, those Maybe little miracles, big miracles, or maybe just an ordinary unfolding of circumstances in your life when you were 10, when you were 19, when you were 35, whatever it is in your past, of how Jesus was knocking at your door, how he got your attention. Uh, I just think we need to think that through more and tell those stories more. It's part of our witness, witness of God's goodness, uh, of how he... In his love, we, it was read earlier this morning by Connie, how the shepherd came looking for us and found us and what he said and how he brought us back. So really, really, really important stuff as we are his witnesses here in this world today. You know, some people 
uh, maybe have very little thought of God, and they, 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 go to, they go to work or they come to church or something one morning with little thought of God, and they go home deeply convinced, like something happened very quickly in their life. You, you, you might be such a person, like I, you, you might say, Pastor, I can tell you the day and the hour when I believed. And some people, I, I envy them. You know, you're lucky. You know the day and the hour. It was that clear to you. And you believed and you've never wavered. And God bless you. Other people, it's a, it's a slower journey. It's a, it's a meandering path. It goes up and it goes down. And, it goes, and then you take a rest for a while and then you're back at it. And it might take one year, two years, five years, your story might have taken. But at the end, you're there. Whether it took an hour or whether it took three years, we still end up at the same point. We follow different pathways. There are many, there's as many people in, as there are in this room, there are just as many stories to tell of the pathway that we took. They're all unique. They're all specially tailored to you and your circumstances and your family and your friends and, and, and all of those parts of your life. Many pathways to Jesus, yes, but the ultimate destination is now the same for all of us. It's in his presence. It's believing in him. It's trusting him with our salvation. Uh, and, uh, and I just think that's so cool as well. We all end up at the same place. You know, some of us have friends or family. We're kind of like Andrew, and we have a Peter in our life. Or we're like Philip, and we have a Nathaniel in our life, and we want to bring them to Jesus. You know, I'm just thinking, I need to tell you this. It's not our job to convert people. It's our job to introduce people to Jesus. Bring them to him, introduce them, kind of hand them off to him and let him take over. We'll, we'll see that beautifully this morning. Philip just got Nathaniel within six feet of Jesus and, and in a way his work was done. Um, in another way, of course, he was his friend forever. But uh, Jesus took over and uh, we need to trust God that he can do that in the lives of our friends and our family as well today. It's part of bearing witness to him. Let's get into the story here of Nathaniel, John chapter 1. Verse 43, and uh, we'll walk through the story. I'll make some comments as we go along for the next little bit. <clears throat> Verse 43, the next day, <clears throat> Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So I assume here that Nathanael was a friend of Philip's, an important friend, and Philip went and found him and told him, kind of like what Andrew told Peter. Andrew told Peter, we have found the Messiah. Uh, here, he says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. These are called messianic prophecies. Uh, and they are little bits of pieces and clues and bits of information, all in the Old Testament law, that are pointing towards and giving details of the Messiah when the Messiah comes. And Philip's message to Nathaniel was, we found him. So how does, uh, how does Nathaniel respond? I think the guy was a skeptic. Listen to this, verse 46. Nazareth, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Stop there for a moment also. 
Um, somehow, Philip, or sorry, Nathaniel didn't have a very good opinion of people from Nazareth. <laughs> Maybe not very nice. Nazareth was a small town, and it was very poor, and uh, a lot of people didn't have a, a great opinion of Nazareth. It, it was very poor, and, and no important people came from there. You would think if the Messiah is going to come from anywhere, he'd probably come from Jerusalem, wouldn't he? Like the capital city where the temple is. Nazareth? So you're going to run into skeptics. You're going to run into people who push back on you and say whatever it is that you've said to them, they're going to push back and say that's not possible. You know, the, the Bible couldn't be inspired by God. Miracles don't happen. There's a, what about this? What about that? And uh, notice how Philip responds. He doesn't take the bait. He doesn't get into an argument about whether good people can come from Nazareth or not. He doesn't accuse Nathaniel of being prejudiced at all. He just says three words, come and see. I like that. His response is simple and very focused. He knows what his mission is. It's to get Nathaniel into within six feet of Jesus. And, uh, and so he doesn't argue. He doesn't debate. You know, sometimes we get really sidetracked in the debate, right? We get, well, yeah, you got to know this. And, and, and what about this? And oh, you got to read this book first and, and everything. And maybe not. Just remember what your job is to introduce people to Jesus. Get them there somehow to, to be reading the scriptures and learning of Jesus there, as we said last week, or uh, coming amongst your Christian friends and experiencing the presence of Christ in his people. It can be amazing and powerful and overwhelming for some people, a beautiful thing. So anyhow, Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see, said Philip, verse 47. So they get to Jesus. Don't know how far it was. Did they walk a kilometer? Did they walk 10K? Don't know. They just got there. <clears throat> when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, and he must be quite close because what he says, Nathanael hears. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. That's an interesting greeting. <laughs> he says to Whoever is with Jesus, uh, in the hearing of Nathanael, here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Other translations will say, in whom there is no guile. Or another translation, in whom there is no deceit. Interesting. He calls him a true Israelite. <clears throat> that means, <clears throat> if I translate that for you, it means here's a good Jew. Like, this guy's good. <clears throat> He loves God, he reads the scriptures, he reads Moses, he comes to the temple, he's doing it all right, and he doesn't like falseness in people. Very interesting way to speak to Nathaniel at this point. <clears throat> Two bolts of lightning hit Nathaniel within about 60 seconds. That statement of Jesus was the first bolt of lightning, I'll explain that in a moment. And then the other bolt that really finishes him off comes just very shortly afterwards. So why was this a bolt of lightning? Well, what Jesus said to Nathanael, I'm presuming here, we don't have uh, all the details. We don't have all the details of Nathanael's life. But what Jesus says is revealing about something about Nathanael. So you're going to hear me say this morning a lot of maybes and perhapses as I 
speculate a little bit and try to fill in between the lines. You have to be careful when you do that, but I'm, I, I think it's plausible and I hope it makes sense. So why did Jesus say that about Nathaniel? Here's a good Jew in whom is nothing false. I think it was true. If Jesus said it, it was true, of course. Nathaniel must have been a very principled and righteous young man. He took honesty and integrity to the highest levels. And he undoubtedly hated all the falseness and all the hypocrisy and all the deceitfulness that he saw around him in his world every day. Perhaps he hated the falseness and the hypocrisy that he saw in his own religion, in, in stuff that goes on in the religious leaders of the Jews and that be, of that day, because we know there was plenty of it. Jesus himself pointed it out very strongly. Perhaps Nathaniel could identify with what he later learned from Jesus because he felt the same way. Uh, or perhaps he saw it in the politics. King Herod and all the governors and the and the people that ran the country and took bribes and, and were false and oppressed people. Maybe he saw it in business as he went to the marketplace every day. Just like, why can't these people just be honest? Why can't they do what they say and come through? And it, anyhow, that, those were his own internal principles. He believed those things very deeply, and that's why Jesus commented on it in his life. Jesus knew him. Your friend? Jesus knows them. Your relative, Jesus knows them, knows them better than you do. Just get them near Jesus and let him speak to them. So he said, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. He was giving Nathaniel an extremely affirming and meaningful compliment. <clears throat> and he was, get this, he was addressing Nathaniel's core identity. This apparently I would guess, was the thing that Nathaniel talked about the most and cared about the most and defined him as a person. I hate falseness. I wish the world was different. And, uh, and so Jesus recognized that in him and spoke right to the core of his whole sort of purpose in life. That's powerful when that happens to you, especially when it's spoken to you by someone who doesn't know you, someone you've never met before. That was the first bolt of lightning that hit Nathaniel. A total stranger. Takes him back. So Nathaniel's response is in verse 48. How do you know me? <laughs> it's perfect. It's the perfect response to, I think, what I've just been just trying to describe to you here. Nathaniel says, you know me. How? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now there's the second bolt of lightning. And this one's even more weird than the first one. What is he talking about? Fig tree? What fig tree? I, 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 I saw you. Uh, let me say it again. I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. He's referring to a very specific and real moment in Nathaniel's life. And it strikes Nathaniel. I'll show you how strongly it struck him in a moment. But it's very interesting what Jesus said to him. I want us to have faith that God can speak to people. If we get them into the presence of Jesus, 
be it here, be it in the scriptures, be it just them getting to know you as a Christian, God can begin to speak to people in ways that can pierce their hearts. I don't mean painful pierce, I mean beautiful. I mean, wow, sort of piercing and can draw people to himself. You may have one of these stories yourself. I bet you there's several of them here in this room. I have something like this in my own life, part of my story. I've told it little bits here and there, but I can tell you that I do. So here was the bigger bolt of lightning when Jesus said that, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Something's going on here. We don't know all the details. Again, I'm guessing and speculating, so be careful, John, but follow me, see if it's plausible. <clears throat> Let's read Nathaniel's response. Verse 49, then Nathaniel declared, in response to that, after being struck by lightning here, Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Do you know, you know how powerful that is? You know, a lot of people work through stages in their understanding of Jesus, right? They, they think he's a nice guy. And, and he's, he's lovely. And, and, well, maybe he's a prophet. And he certainly was a, he was a miracle worker. Yeah, I mean, he's the most influential person in all of history. You know, people work through those stages as they're coming to know Christ. Nathaniel leapfrogged over all of them. He went from skeptic, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, to you're the son of God. Like, he really took a leap there. And it was all triggered by what Jesus said about the fig tree and what he saw under the fig tree. It, I, I just, I delight in this. I think this is awesome. And we need to delight in the work of God as he as he works with people, as he reveals himself to people and reveals themselves to themselves. Did God reveal you to yourself? Yeah, I'm sure he did, as he brought you into his saving grace. So Nathaniel's response is amazing. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. If you read in the Old Testament in various places, often the prophet would address God as the king of Israel. Was Nathaniel attributing deity to Jesus here? Uh, maybe. It, it's scriptural. When he called him the son of God, he's attributing to him much more than just being a great man. He's, he's moving in that direction or he's already there. Why did he jump so fast, so far? Well, let's dig a little deeper. There's a psalm in... Uh, Psalm 139, I don't have it on screen, but I'll read some of it to you. Nathaniel, remember, was a, a true Israelite, as I said, a good Jew, which means he would know the scriptures. He might have had this very psalm memorized. Probably did. Let me read it to you, because he knew these words very well. O oh Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit... And when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. 
You hem me in, behind and before, you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Nathaniel knew the doctrine of God. He knew about the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere and knows everything and knows everything about him. And now he meets a stranger who has just done the very same thing. That was the second bolt of lightning. I repeat, God can speak to anybody that you know, any friend that you have. He has spoken to many of you, and I'd like us to go on a mission, on a quest, to remember and think through those moments when he did, and to bring out of us worship and thankfulness and witness to the world all around us. <clears throat> Nathaniel here felt known by the God who knows everything about us. What happened under the fig tree? Okay, here I go again. Follow me. I think the fig tree was, was a literal fig tree that he used to kind of go under and sit. It was his private place to be alone. To get away from everything and everybody, which Nathaniel maybe seems to be that kind of person. And just think. Some people are like that. Nathaniel was. Just to sit under my fig tree and think. Maybe talk to God. Probably pray. That's what talking to God is but mostly just to be in a place where nobody knew where he was and nobody would bother him. All those false and deceitful people out there, this is the only place I have refuge, is under this fig tree and nobody knows about it except me. I love coming here. I'm guessing he had been there recently, maybe about an hour before Philip found him and called him. Maybe there... One more time, he had desperately reached out to God. Yahweh is God's name in the Old Testament, remember? Yahweh, if you're there, I need some help. There's a psalm that says, people are always saying to me, where is your God? And maybe Nathaniel had been experiencing that. Maybe people had been bugging him and, and, and challenging his faith and saying, where is your God? And Nathaniel Maybe he didn't have all the full answers or it seemed sometimes like God wasn't there in the way that he would like him to be there. And, uh, and so he says, God, God, I need your help. I need you to show yourself to me. I'm struggling. Questions are troubling my heart. Let me know if you can see me. Just, can you see me? Are you there? Please, if you're there, you know what I'm like. You know my thoughts. You know what I value. In life, things which my friends don't seem to care about, I'm lonely. I feel like the only person on earth who cares about truth and integrity and honesty and purity of heart. Do you see me, Yahweh? Do you even know that I exist? This is the one thing I want to know. 
more than anything else in the whole world. I'm not asking to know who I will marry, like most young men my age. I'm not asking to know if I will have a family and a lot of children, which would be wonderful. I don't care about what career I will pursue, nor will I be if I'll be wealthy someday. I don't care. I just want to know if you're aware of me. Was that going on under the fig tree? I don't know, but something was. Let's run through the conversation one more time. Here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus finishes the conversation uh, with these words, verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Stop right there for a moment. So John, the apostle John was writing this record, right? And, and as he finishes this chapter here, and he writes down what he knows Jesus said to me, I could see John pausing and smiling. Like, does Nathaniel have a clue what Jesus means here when he says, you shall see greater things than that? You're impressed about the fig tree thing? Whoa, hang in there, Nathaniel. You just follow me. There were miracles, walking on water, feeding the 5,000, the, the, the arrest, the abuse, the cross, the resurrection, and all those. Whoa, there's a lot coming here, Nathaniel. One step at a time, though. So he says, you'll see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I, uh, I don't have time to dig into what I think he means there. You can discuss that in your small groups, if you're in one. <clears throat> you shall see greater things than that. Let's talk about Nathaniel's experience here for a moment, because this was quite an experience. It was dramatic, it was eye-opening, it was shocking. What about you? What about me? Is some kind of experience like this necessary in order to become a Christian? People argue about this. Some people will say, yes, it is. You need to have this, and you need to feel chills, and you need to break out in a sweat, and you need to fall down, and you need, you know, and have a miracle happen. You need to speak in tongues, all these things, before you're really indwelt by the Holy Spirit and saved. I disagree with all of the above. Is an experience necessary? My answer is yes and no. <laughs> First of all, no. To become a Christian, there is nothing in Scripture that says you need a certain type of experience. You may have a Christian friend who has had a remarkable experience, and it's real, I'm not doubting it, and you might feel pressure that that has to happen to me too, or I'm either not a Christian or I'm kind of like a grade B Christian. Wrong. To become a Christian, we need to repent of trusting in, in ourselves and to stop trying to save myself with my good works and my wonderful track record and, 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 and thinking that I can be good enough to get into heaven. I need to repent of being my own savior and turn and put all my faith, 100%, all my eggs in one basket, in trusting in Christ to be my Savior. He's done everything 
I don't need to do anything as far as good works go. And that is the saving grace of God. Saving me without works, without performance, just by his goodness and by his grace. I just need to trust in him 100%. If I stand in front of God someday and some angel says, what right do you have to come here and into heaven? My answer is, I have no right. I'm trusting 100% in Jesus to have saved me, period. Do you need an experience? I said yes and no. What do I mean by the yes part? How can I have come to Christ, have embraced him, believed in him, had his spirit enter my life and not feel something and not be deeply touched? That's an experience but it, it comes as a result of Christ coming into my life. It's a powerful thing. I'm, I'm a little worried about some Christians who, well, beware of the gospel recipe. What do I mean by that? I'll, I'll try to explain. On Wednesday night, I think it was, I, I cooked supper for the family. And I found this uh, recipe for Indian, an Indian dish in a cookbook somewhere. It was called uh, Indian Coconut Curry Chicken, something like that. You can get it from me later. Uh, anyway, so I, I, I scanned the recipe and I thought, I can do that. So I, I, I got it out and I got out the chicken that was thawed and, and, uh, and I uh, you know, cut chicken into pieces, cubes. So I, I did that, I put it there, and then um, opened a can of coconut milk. So I did that and poured that in the big frying pan. And, and uh, uh, there was, oh, I opened a can of diced tomatoes. So I, I was following the recipe. So I opened the, the can and dumped that in. And, uh, and then the spices, the garam masala and the curry and the salt. And uh, I did it all. And then I, and then I, Oh, the onions, that, a cup and a half of chopped onions, that was important. And then I sort of did the frying and the, and the stuff and added things in the right sequence and then cooked it some more for 20 minutes or whatever. And, and it turned out great, really good. I don't know if Kathy liked it as much as I did, but uh, I enjoyed it. <clears throat> I followed the recipe. So I'm, I'm a little worried that some Christians just follow the recipe to, to become a Christian. So what do I have to do? Well, if got to believe in God. Oh, I believe in God. Check. Uh, you got to believe that you're made in the image of God and that you have a soul. Uh, uh, I believe that. Check. And then you, you have to understand, though, that you've sinned and departed from God's way and you need to be saved. Sin. Yeah, nobody's perfect. Yep, that's me. Check. Got to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose from the dead. That's what it says. Yep, check, I believe that. Am I saved? Maybe. I don't know. When I had my Indian dish all cooked in the frying pan, you know what the best part was? Was when I put it on my plate and ate it and experienced it. That was awesome. And, and my burden is that Christians don't just check the list and say, great, 
going to heaven, now I'll get on to other things. I want you to enter into a life with Christ. I want you to experience him and his goodness and his promises. He'll walk with you through the tough times and there'll be a lot of those. There'll be times when you wonder where he is and you'll be under your fig tree and then he'll reveal himself to you a little bit later and you'll go, wow, and your faith will run even deeper than ever. I, I, I just want you to taste and see that the Lord is good, as it says in Psalm 34. Experience him in all of his fullness, in all of his goodness. Nathaniel, 20 years later. Hey, Uncle Nathaniel, tell us the story again. What story? The one about the tree. Which tree? Which tree? The, the, is there another tree? There's two trees. Oh, there's the fig tree. Got my attention. But there's the tree where my Lord died for my sins. The cross, the tree, same thing. If Nathaniel told the tree about, about the story about the fig tree a thousand times, I'll bet you dollars to donuts he told the story about the cross, the tree where his Savior died for us all 10,000 times. That's the gospel. So there may be moments in your life when you've been under the fig tree and you've met Christ and he's got your attention. But have you taken a deep dive into the meaning of the cross and your salvation and what it means for your life? I just going to push you in that direction this morning. Dive in and experience him to the full. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for these moments to think through this story, to put ourselves there. We look forward to meeting Nathaniel in heaven and getting the rest of the story and all those greater things that he saw. Be with us now as we go. Walk with us and speak to us every day, we pray. Amen.